Did the FBI just raid the Batcave? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. Before we get onto this diving board, I just want to let you know that there are two ways to listen to this show commercial free. You can listen on Deep Dives with Monica Perez. That's my solo RSS feed on your favorite podcasting platform. Or if you want more, you can go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report, subscribe there, get all of my stuff commercial free, plus some videos I do when I interview people, plus all of Binkley's shows and live streams, free and paid, as well as the content of all the other creators on Rockfin. So right now, the ads that you hear when you're on the propaganda report feed, that pays for all my producer's time. Other than that, I don't make anything besides Rockfin. So if you want to pay for my time, go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report and sign up there. I'd appreciate it. But otherwise, go to Deep Dives with Monica Perez. That's for the lovers. If you actually go over there and subscribe, you can have all that uh, commercial-free stuff with my compliments. So let's get on this diving board, okay? It is courtesy of the New York Times. The FBI searches Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida. All right, so normally I ignore this stuff because it all seems like so much, um, what do you call it, like a tempest in a teapot, the January 6th stuff. It seems manufactured. It seems theatrical. But here's the problem. You can have that stuff be completely manufactured and still change the world. I mean, I think COVID, that whole thing was completely manufactured. I still think it made people sick and it destroyed the world through terrible policy at least temporarily and with obvious lasting effects. So you've got to worry about stuff like this if it's really, if the rubber's ever going to hit the road. And that's why I like to just parachute in once in a while, check it out, see what's happening. And this was a big one. So I thought it would be a good time to reconnect with the (laughs) storyline. It's like a soap opera. All right. So what happened? Well, 30, there's a lot of different articles. Some had details, some didn't. Some had conflicting details. I'm doing the best I can pulling this stuff out. Apparently, 30 agents, which would include plainclothes FBI agents escorted by the Secret Service, I thought that was kind of interesting, went and executed a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. Now, when you look at pictures of this, all I ever saw were Palm Beach cops. I didn't actually see anything else. So, A... Where was everybody else? Did this even really happen? I assume it did. But why were Palm Beach cops there? They're obviously cooperating. Did DeSantis have anything to say about that? I don't know. I don't know why why locals were cooperating. But DeSantis decried this as wrong and bad. Who knows? Who knows? That adds to all the theater of this. So they came in. They were looking for stuff that would violate the 1978 Presidential Records Act and also other laws that define how classified documents should be dealt with. So they were executing a warrant that supposedly is based on on violating those two laws. So looking for stuff that really should have been left at the White House under the 1978 Presidential Records Act and stuff that Uh, Maybe it was just improperly handled classified materials. Now, this stuff could garner a fine and jail time if, if one thing led to another. And they went in there and they searched Trump's office and Melania's closet. They seized 10 boxes worth of stuff or 10 boxes full of stuff 
and took it away in a rider truck. This is these are the narratives that I'm seeing here, and I just think ten bo- like bankers boxes full of documents I could fit on the floor of my car. I wouldn't even have to open the trunk, <laughs> you know. So. So it's weird. And another thing that's kind of weird about this is that the 1978 Presidential Records Act, which was done in the wake of Watergate, not only requires that you leave stuff behind, but it requires that you generate records of your time in the White House. So of all the records this guy generated, Trump generated of his time in the White House, like what proportion of that does this represent? A tiny fraction? The bulk of it? I saw one article that said that something like this could would be a common archival dispute. I would think it would be common, like, oh, yeah, this is mine, that's yours. This is mostly personal, but whatever. I had a, a call in the White House, so it may count as, you know, government stuff. Like, I could totally see that, 50, that 10 boxes worth of stuff could easily be, like, a legitimate dispute. So, and and, like, coming in and using criminal stuff or histrionics or arrests and whatever. It's very like not American. (laughs) You see the Europeans do that. Christine Lagarde was under investigation. There was her predecessor, I think, same thing, was arrested. You see us do it with Morsi, with Gaddafi, with Hussein. Like uh, I think even Mubarak was arrested at one point, but it's just not something that we expect to see here. But A lot of things are happening here that we are not used to. So Merrick Garland, who's the attorney general, he's the head of the Department of Justice, he admitted that he signed the warrant, and he's also saying he would like to unseal the warrant. Now, here's something interesting. You would think that a warrant like this would be pursuant to the Fourth Amendment, where you have to be specific about what you're looking for and where you think it would be. But... This may have been issued under the 1978 Presidential Records Act. Now, that's something different, right? That's not a Bill of Rights kind of thing. That's not your personal possession. I'm confident one could argue, or it may even be laid out, that the process would be different in this case. And another thing that's weird to me is that this comes with fines and jail time and all that, but... Is it really a crime or is it more of an administrative violation? I mean, obviously it's a crime, but it's kind of weird. And this isn't the beginning of this story. In January, the National Archive Bureau took 15 boxes of documents back from Trump and Trump gave them to them. And they then said, oh, we think there's something more to this. Some of these things are fishy. Let's look for more. So in June, the FBI went to Mar-a-Lago and met with, I think, Trump's lawyers were there, or at least one of his lawyers. He himself popped in for a minute. They fully cooperated. Uh, They left. Supposedly, there were conflicting reports, but taking a few documents and then called the next day and said, please put a bigger lock on the door than is there already. The lawyer wrote back, like, no problem. They said, and then they set up surveillance to see if people were coming and going out of that room after they left that stuff behind, which seems to me kind of entrapment-y. And then the story is that someone on the inside tipped them off that there was more to find. So people are saying, well, if they knew where it was, why didn't they just go back to that room? And I'm guessing that the rat tip was like, oh, there's more to find, and that justified them making a a larger search at Mar-a-Lago. So there's a lot of uh, little details to this story. 
But when I saw this, that it was a process issue and not like a criminal issue, that the crime here was mishandling documents and no actual harm came of that, it reminded me of the Hillary thing, of her private server, which I got a lot of flack for just saying it's a nothing burger. Like, don't tell me that the crime is the process. I, the, that's like a mala prohibita crime. It's, it's wrong because it's prohibited. It's not wrong because it's inherently wrong. Maybe it was stupid, maybe it was reckless, but it's not, it doesn't rise to the level of crime. And that, you know, just does not outrage me. It, wouldn't, it didn't outrage me with Hillary. It doesn't outrage me with Trump. But what is kind of obvious here, or I've, I've seen it written and it makes sense, is that stuff like this usually happens pursuant to the investigation of an underlying crime. Like they wouldn't make such a big stink of it, except for they're looking for evidence of an underlying crime. And the probable cause they have is stronger for the process violation. So that's how they get the warrant, but they're going to look through the stuff for its content and they will be within their rights to use what they find there against him in, in another case if they want it. Now, I think if they mean to mean to use it in another case, I'm not sure if that's a fruit of a poisonous tree, if, it's, if you're allowed to have, I think you're allowed to get the warrant under any legitimate grounds, even if you're hoping that it proves parallel cases, I think. Don't hold me to that. But this is what leads us to think maybe or leads people who are really into this story to think that it's about the January 6th hearings or investigation, that they're really trying to find smoking gun stuff about January 6th. Now, for me, I don't think anything happened on January 6th. Nothing. Like, I think that anything that you see coming out of January 6th that seems like a criminal thing is totally made up. Staged videos, everything. Like, completely made up. That's what I think. And I think they suppressed people's videos that would have demonstrated that by doxing everybody by going to people's houses who were there. Anybody who's in, even there in a peaceful manner. So they really locked that thing down. And if they are really going to try to pursue it, they would have to make stuff up. They are making stuff up. So now people are saying, oh, they're going to plant evidence, January 6th evidence in Mar-a-Lago when they're there. Maybe. I mean, I think there are easier ways to do it than splashing your presence there all over the front pages. <laughs> I don't think that's plausible. And plus, like this, you know, I'm, I'm still not even convinced that this is not like pure theater where everybody's involved in it or maybe it didn't happen at all. I'm telling you, all the stuff I saw really didn't, maybe I didn't see enough of the videos. Maybe I just saw the, the stuff that was in the beginning. But I just, I don't know. I don't know what happened. There's another case, though, that's going on with Trump, which is Letitia James. She's the attorney general of New York, I think. She's looking into Trump for having put different asset values on loan applications than on his tax returns. That's totally normal. I took a lot of accounting and accounting, they always say like accounting is different from tax. Cash is different from accounting. Like they're just different. Now I looked at his asset values on his loan docs, which was some of the disclosures that he made when he was running. And I remember thinking like, this looks fishy and overvalued and you know, but that's their problem. They want to give them a loan with that kind of crap. I used to be a commercial banker, which was like did loans. So if they, I mean, I, I can't imagine that that was really what they based their loans on. 
But his tax returns, I bet, are legit because I don't think he's worth anywhere near as much as they always said he was worth. So I felt like they weren't giving him the tax returns. He wasn't giving his tax returns because his persona is rich guy. He's Batman on both sides, right? He wants to be the hero, but he also wants to be the billionaire. And I don't think he's either. So I feel like that's why he didn't release his tax returns. Okay, so that's the official story. Now, I've been looking around. First thing I did was talk to my mom because <laughs> she, she was like so upset. She really loves Trump. And she's like, no one should have to put up with this. You, even if he's rich, you have to have sympathy that this is just, it's painful. It's a violation of his privacy. And, and maybe you don't have sympathy for him, but they would, you know, they would come for us next and we have to defend these people. So like for me, she was kind of making the sacrificial wolf argument that I always use, like Henry, Harvey, Henry, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby are people you don't have sympathy for. So when their rights are violated, you don't have to worry about it. But I think when they're taking out people who are like high-ranking government people, like Trump or um, some ally of his in the election fight, Scott Perry, he's a Republican from Pennsylvania, congressman, they took his phone and they're going to look at his texts I think pursuant to the January 6th thing, or at least the election stuff. So I coined a, an expression for this, the sacrificial priests. So the high priests, like when they take them out, they show you that it could happen to you or they, they, they can, it either, what my mother thinks is it could happen to you. But what the Democrats are saying is, see, no one is above the law, but are we on notice? Is this a warning? There's definitely something to it. So I like my new, my new expression, sacrificial priest. I'll have to put that in my glossary this month. So I did talk to my mom, and I got a lot of color from her on what Trump fans are feeling. She was very emotional about it. So uh, I took her information, and I also just did my regular research, and I came up with 10 theories, like the top 10 theories of what's going on here. And... I don't put it past them to multitask. I mean, multitasking is a big part of what they do with these operations. So, and I'm still not saying whether Trump's in on it or not. It doesn't matter. He wouldn't need to be. He wasn't even there. I mean, okay. So here we go. Top 10 theories. The first one is my mother said, it's a vendetta. It's a vendetta. They're after him. They're out for him. They don't like him. They don't like what he did. They don't like what he said. It's a vendetta. So I think that go, going along with the vendetta theory is they're harassing him. It's payback for him harassing Hillary with the lock her up, the chance lock her up, which was about this stuff. It was about, it was about the, her private server, which is the same thing, process documents, uh, that kind of thing. I think Black Road Regiment said that these are the kind of laws that he put into place that are coming back to bite him. You got to be careful. What comes around goes around. And there was a lot of focus on the hypocrisy that Comey, for example, just gave her a slap on the wrist and he overshared what was going on. Whereas Merrick Garland here is kind of not giving a lot of information and he's going hard. So there's those parallels there that are getting some press. I don't know how important they are. Just, I mean, the same old whataboutism or hypocrisy, kind of boring. But when my mother said vendetta, I wondered if what Andrew Cuomo was doing 
in supporting Trump was kind of because of that old, I think it's an Arab expression, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Letitia James, I think, went after him for the sexual harassment stuff, and then he resigned. And Letitia James is the one who's going after Trump right now. So maybe it was a little, uh, a little vendetta on Cuomo's part. Okay, number two on my top 10 theories. It's really about the January 6th investigation and that all of this is foreshadowing the investigation of underlying crimes. Maybe they're planting evidence. I don't know. Uh, I know that there is definitely some some hypocrisy in that whole story because I keep seeing Ginny Thomas getting raked over the roll over the coals. That's Clarence Thomas's wife just being harassing. There's a conflict of interest, so she should be scrutinized and Thomas could be brought down because of this. Wouldn't that be awful? I mean, really, that's whatever. (laughs) That's some hypocrisy right there. So, and I'm thinking conflict of interest. Think about the Bidens in Ukraine, the Bidens in China, how much money they will are either standing to benefit from or were attempting to benefit from coming out of China. I mean, talk about a conflict of interest. And that's another thing of hypocrisy. Like, why aren't those guys getting tracked down, hunted down, investigated? All right, here's a big one. The whole domestic terrorism, neo-Nazis and white supremacists are on a hair trigger and they were triggered. And that kind of folds in with the this all this stuff about protecting elected officials from Supreme Court to cordoning off the Capitol. And even here locally in L.A., there's like people are getting taxed. Remember when Pelosi got uh, her house was graffitied or something? They're really into protecting elected officials. And they're saying that Merrick Garland was, as soon as he said he signed the search warrant, the neo-Nazis were after him because he's Jewish. And it's like, I didn't know he was Jewish. And now you're (laughs) you're outing him. And that whole like anti-Semites or huge Trump fans is a little hard to swallow when Trump's daughter converted to Judaism. I mean, I don't know how they justify that he's on their side if that's how it goes. And then Ray, the head of the FBI, has said he was also under attack. And I feel like they're they're trying to, sh- to protect the elected officials. And I wonder if they're shoring those guys up for martial law so that they need to be protected when all the bad laws come down, all the the crackdown happens, and that they need need to be isolated in case they don't go along with it. I think the walls and the guards and stuff, you know, having bodyguards is one command away from being under guard. (laughs) So you think that the Secret Service is working for you until their boss tells them that they're not. So, all right, number four, this is something my mother was saying, that they're communist tactics. So my mother said that what was happening was communist tactics. She said, the communists, they always said, we'll go two steps forward and one step back. Although I think the way my mother said it was one step forward and two steps back, which would be great, but I don't think that's what they're after. (laughs) And um, so... I just think it's funny because there's more juxtaposition here where the neo-Nazis and all that stuff is coming out of the left narrative and the communism is coming out of the right narrative. They're really recycling that 20th century dialectic. All right, so now let's get into the election stuff. Number five, to stop him running for president in 2024 by making him, dirtying him up was one article. But what I actually think, if 
1978 Presidential Records Act, for some reason, either that or handling the illegal handling of documents, one of those things is there's a law written, legislation written, that it would disqualify him from running again or from being president. But the Supreme Court might hold or might have already held in general that the Constitution defines the qualifications for president and you cannot expand on that. So there you have a constitutional crisis. So if he was found guilty under one of these laws and legislatively disqualified, but the Republicans still nominated him and he still went all the way because that's what happened with Ted Cruz. I said that guy is highly likely to be not qualified to be president under current law. And that needs to be vetted before the Republicans nominate him. I didn't, I wasn't saying he should step down. I was just saying you need to really vet that issue, which they did not. So I feel like they would not vet the issue and then you would have the constitutional crisis. And you know how I always say, like ever since 2000, instead of wanting people to rally behind the president, they have wanted to sow discord and have people say, not my president. And that's what I, and it's that illegitimacy, the hanging Chad, the Ohio Diable of voting machines, the Kenyan birth, the Russian collusion, um, Hillary's illegal immigrants, Ted Cruz's Canadian birth and citizenship. So I feel like there's something, you know, if they were scenarioing things out, it would be nice for them to plant this little seed there under that law. I don't think that was an accident. All right. Number six, this would affect midterm elections specifically if it prompts him to announce a presidential run more than two years in advance. So before the November midterms. And that could also, they're saying, so Republicans are saying, oh my gosh, he would be absolutely ace in the hole to get the Republican nomination if he announced it now and he'd have so much momentum, he'd just take back the country, which I think is preposterous. I do not think the majority of the people uh, are want that right now. I just don't. I could be wrong, but I just don't because I feel like no Democrats want it and there's still those Republicans who work against the Trump faction. So maybe, maybe you know what? He did seem to get a lot of votes. I, I did a lot of work on election integrity for 2020. It certainly seemed like he got a lot of votes. So the reason that it would derail the midterms is twofold, they say. One is that it would divert fundraising. And he did start a fundraiser like the very next day after this for his Save America PAC. But it's a leadership PAC. So it's not for his presidential campaign. It's for him to decide who he's going to give the money to in the other races. And boy, that's dangerous because I'm not sure his interests are aligned with the people in that regard. It's like Operation Warp Speed, I mean, with the vaccines. like He's not always on the same page as the people who, who like him who love him. Then there's also the concept of uh, making the midterms about Trump versus Biden rather than about inflation and recession the way the, the congressional and Senate race candidates want it to be. They don't want it to be about Trump and Biden. There's enough of bad stuff that Biden's doing that all they have to do is say, we need to break this up. Congress is Democrat. The White House is Democrat. Senate is split with the Kamala Harris tiebreaker. All Democrats, this has got to stop there. They're, you think what you've seen so far is bad. If they don't get um, curtailed at this point, it will be really, really bad. So right now, 
the House is the GOP's to lose, apparently. They're strongly favored to win. So the Democrats want anything disruptive. That's why I think Roe versus Wade was like a Democrat plot, because it gave them a little momentum for the midterms. And this might be a Republican plot if it makes Trump look like the underdog and uh, make him be sympathetic. But if it derails the midterms, boy, it's the Democrats' dream. So also, by the way, although... Republicans are strongly favored to get Congress. They are, I think it's a toss up with the Senate. I don't know. Uh, and I it actually could, thought it occurred to me, like for the non-Trump faction, maybe it would be a Pence-Cheney hookup. Maybe uh, Mike Pence and Liz Cheney would be the ticket. I mean, obviously DeSantis would be running. Uh, and that leads me to number seven. So, DeSantis said this was no good, but it was Florida cops who were there. They were Palm Beach County cops. I know he doesn't have control over them, but they might have run it up the flagpole. And is there any chance that he thought this would be a way of taking out a political rival? I sincerely doubt that. I haven't heard anybody say that. If it was something in his mind, it certainly would have backfired. So that's just, I'm just throwing that out there. All right, number eight. This is a big, big, big one. This is my mom. My mom was really focused on this one. If it can happen to these people, no one is safe. And as she said, you need to tell your listeners, appeal to their conscience. Appeal to their conscience. This is America. No one should have to go through this. She was upset, so she didn't have her, like, extremely <laughs> Brooklyn-y, uh, enthusiasm. She's really, really upset about this. So for me, this thing could go either way because the Democrats keep saying no one is above the law. And my mother is saying no one is protected by the law. So, I mean, with the Democrats, I have to just throw this out there because nobody ever talks about this. John Corzine is above the law. John Corzine above the law. He was the Democrat senator from New Jersey, the Democrat governor from New Jersey, and the head of Goldman Sachs. And when he stole people's money, gave it to, to a bank, and ran his business into the ground, it was literally called MF Capital. I mean, might as well have been called <laughs> MF or Capital. And uh, I thought he was going to go to jail. I don't even think there was a trial. He unwound all the illegal stuff he did, and they were just like, okay, it's better now. So now that <laughs> Trump was cooperating, do they, are they going to back off? Anyway, so John Corzine is above the law. So the idea here, though, is that no American is safe from having private papers, records, even texts, in that case of Scott Perry, confiscated, scrutinized, exploited, and maybe even exposed. Think about that, if your private texts were exposed. But again, I can't help but think that in this case, this is a special law. This is the 1978 Presidential Records Act. It's quite possible that you don't need a Fourth Amendment-style warrant for this. And I think of, like, when Kavanaugh was being attacked and unfair, you know, he wasn't getting his rights when he was trying to become the Supreme Court justice. It's like, you don't have rights to become the Supreme Court justice. At the same time, Bill Cosby was being denied his rights. He was a sacrificial wolf. Nobody cared because he was nobody's hero at that point. But uh, he had rights that we all gave up because we didn't care about him. And I feel like that's this here. Like, this is probably not a precedent for us, except for to the extent that we just resign ourselves to it. 
But yeah, so this is where I I invented the term sacrificial priest because yes, Bill Cosby is a sacrificial wolf, but these guys are sacrificial priests. They'll go down so that you can go down, but they don't really go down. They always get out of jail. I noticed that with all the people who went down, nobody, even people went to jail, except for Roger Stone. He did go to jail and I don't know if he said this or I just thought it, but I kind of got the feeling he liked it. <laughs> he wanted to go. He was like, no, no, I'm good. They're like, no, we're getting you out. I was like, no, I'm going to stay. <laughs> the guys like my tattoo. <laughs> okay, so, um, but I'll tell you what did alarm me. This doesn't alarm me the way Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer, when they were investigating something or other, on him, you know, he was being, it was a witch hunt on him because of his connection to Trump. They confiscated 4 million documents in search of like some particular thing that they were accusing this guy of. And a Fourth Amendment warrant, which actually probably has a higher standard if you're talking about a lawyer with confidential records, that stuff has to be identified with specificity. I can't even imagine having 4 million documents, like even on the computers, like, like documents, like my Word documents or like a letter, like 4 million pieces of paper or 4 million files. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I have 50,000 tweets and I thought that was kind of a lot. And those are just tweets, <laughs> you know? So I feel like that they went and they took all that stuff and they couldn't really use it because I'm sure it was outside the scope of any legitimate warrant. But they probably used that to blackmail people, not to arrest people or anything, but just all that. Can you imagine all the shady characters Michael Cohen has stuff on? And that's the problem with violating the Fourth Amendment is that it's not only for political persecution, but it's also for political leverage. So you can get people to do stuff you want them to do if, say, you know their name is on the uh, Epstein manifesto. You know, the uh, manifest, not manifesto. <laughs> the flight manifest, the Epstein flight manifest. So I don't like that no American is safe from violations of the Fourth Amendment. But I'm more concerned about Michael Cohen and the sacrificial wolves than the sacrificial priests who probably won't really suffer. So we'll see, though. All right, number nine, this was something that I know is, is on the radar. It's about basically discrediting the FBI and trying to get rid of it. I'm fine with that. I think the FBI is totally unconstitutional. The Department of Justice, totally unconstitutional. The Constitution does not have provisions for enforcing uh, congressional law. So to me, that means the states have to actually go along with it. Right. I'll have to ask my constitutional scholar, Eric Buchanan, about that next time I talk to him. I think he actually answered the question last time, but I can't remember. So I'm fine with the FBI going away. Absolutely no question about that. I'm a little afraid of what they might replace it with. I suspect a federal police force complete with all this high-level investigation, and I really don't want that because I, I really... First of all, I don't want, it's basically the army. Next thing you know, it's going to be merged with the army. I like checks and balances, not only with the branches of government, but with the layers of government. So I like subsidiarity. I like your cops to be 
from your community so you can keep an eye on them, you know them, and you want layers because actually quite a few stories, and I think um, Hastert, who was the Speaker of the House pedo guy, I think he would have gotten away with that if there weren't local cops who were just like, what? And remember that big mob bust in the Appalachians? I believe that was because the local cops weren't, they just busted the guys and the FBI was like, what? We let them do what they want. What the hell? We, don't even, we pretend they don't even exist. That's how the world found out there was a mob. It was local cops. So uh, if you have one big cop, they become an enforcement force for the corrupt politicians. They absolutely do not work for you anymore. They do stuff like this all the time, which I can understand being a problem. But I worry because the FBI isn't that that like pervasive all things police force now. So take it away and don't replace it. That's fine. But if you're going to replace it with something, we're going to probably have some trouble. And one of the arguments is if the Dem that this is like we should use this. The Republicans are saying against the Democrats at the midterms because the Democrats, the FBI will have carte blanche under more Democrat oversight. And I have to say, when John, when I had my conversation with John Lott, he was in, I forget what his role was, but it was pretty high, you know, it was a pretty significant thing. Trump put him in there uh, to, I guess, he's the expert on gun statistics and he was trying to get them to help him. And they said to him, I think it was the FBI, they said, we're all Democrats here. We are not going to help you. And he's like, well, don't we want the truth? He's, he's really very <laughs> sincere and authentic, in my opinion. Anyway, he did say that they were all Democrats. And the funny thing is, like when the Democrats say no one is above the law, they're, they're suggesting that the law is applied equally to everyone. And the problem is that it's completely not, that it's only applied unequally to everyone. Okay, so the last thing, my 10th item, is my own. It is my contrary law of democracy 2.0. So the first one is, uh, that people have liked from me before, is whatever it is that you most do not want, it will take your side to give you. So because you're keeping an eye on the other side, it's hard for Democrats to pass gun control legislation because the Republicans are watching it so closely. But the only way to do it is if somebody like Trump will say, hey, we need to do this like Operation Warp Speed. I, I mean, his people were anti-vax. So if it had been I mean, I think they were I don't. I don't know how it got to be the Republicans being anti-vax. I don't understand necessarily. Maybe it's because they knew with a Republican in the White House that if they made Democrats anti-vaxxers, it really wouldn't have passed. But by making, they had to have two sides of it. They weren't going to get everybody. By making it like two-sided, they at least got half the people. If they made it nonpartisan, non-political, they wouldn't even have gotten 20% of the people, in my opinion. And then he could then deliver it anyway with the warp speed thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a little tortured. I'm not sure. But my set, my 2.0 is that the other side's wins, not, not your wins, like legislative wins, the other side's wins, electoral wins, legislative are your election fodder. They're what you want. So like when I was at WSB and someone said, oh, it's better for us if Obama wins 
because we get to bitch at them all the time then. But if we have the president, things are all, you know, things are always bad, right? So we'll be defending and that's not as fun. You don't get as many ratings when you're defending, only when you're attacking. So if you have something to attack, you want that, right? As a political actor, you want something to attack. And what do you attack? You attack, you can attack the one who's attacking you. If you're a victim or a loser or they're winning or they're playing dirty tricks, it benefits you. And I mean, I feel like the Roe versus Wade thing is a perfect example. The Democrats got wind under their sails, wind in their sails for the midterms based on people being outraged about Roe. So, you know, victims and threats, victimhood and threats really galvanize the base. That seems to me. All right. Wow. That was a lot for something that I thought, eh, is this even real? And I still don't know. I really don't know. But did I get some great tweets? So if you're ready, if you're ready for another chapter of this episode, I will deliver it. Here we go. I don't know if this is my top 10 tweets on the raid. Uh, I'm not sure. Let me see if I can do it fast. Okay. Twisted Communique says, total theater. Trump's already making money in donations. He's silent on January 6th detainees. It bolsters support and allows preemptive attack on patriot types with January 6th style false flags. Trump is Hillary's cousin. The guy is totally playing his base again. I, I imagine he means figuratively. <laughs> so maybe he is a, maybe it's the bloodlines of the Illuminati. Okay. Uh, old Greg says the judge used to represent Epstein. So maybe something related to Clinton's and Epstein plant January 6th evidence there prove no one is above the law. If we can get Trump, we can get you couple this with Alex Jones stuff and it's shut up, sit down, do what you're told and don't ask questions. So Alex Jones had like a $45 million judgment against him. Yikes. Uh, so what he was talking about with the Epstein judge is Judge Bruce Reinhardt represented two of Epstein's co-conspirators in the private sector. So he was helping the Epstein side. And then he was like in and out of government on the bookends of that experience. So he seems a little shady. Florida guy. Travis, who we know and love from Missoula, he says helping Trump maintain street cred with the Q crowd. So they're all answering my question. What's it all about? All right, waking the sheep. I don't know if Trump was in on it, but it seems like a big psyop. For me, the red flag was the caravan of MAGA-decorated trucks and dolled-up MAGA-ins waving giant flags, as if all the MAGA-ins in Florida spontaneously drove hours to Trump's house late at night, looked staged. I thought the same thing. I saw that, and I was like, roadside banners near Mar-a-Lago that said, drain the swamp. <laughs> and I was like, are they still milking that? I mean, at least it didn't say trust the plan, but it might as well have. Tunnel King says, well, Trump is an actor in the great movie, so this is just part of the script. Federal elections are rigged, so I don't buy the he wasn't supposed to win story. I guess that's how people justify that Trump is in a position where no one else could ever be in and be legit that he somehow slipped through. All right, Liberty Nelson says, Stoke MAGA flames. They're praying for a reaction from the populist right. I don't see it happening, organically at least. I also feel like this might also have something to do with interrupting in-person voting. I did see some talk about the voting. Scott Moore, October surprise coming up. 
JB, longtime supporter, fan of the show, tweep. Sure seems convenient, i.e. the ability of the FBI to plant evidence this way. And I'm not a Trump believer. Also seems possible to gain support for another Trump presidency since you need a conservative to push the most totalitarian agendas. I didn't expect that. That's JB saying big government guys want Trump in there because that's how you get totalitarianism. She might have a point. It will take a Republican. Ken says the prequel of authoritarianism being rebranded and instituted to prevent authoritarianism. I think that goes right with what JV is saying. Frank says, bread and circus for all still works today. No man is going to save anyone. It's we the people, sleepyheads. Wake the F up. Couple of goodies from not a redheaded libertarian. Just turns him into a martyr. Helps him look more like he's fighting for us. And it makes Biden look like a fool again. This really seems to be setting up for a Trump re-election in 2024. You know, I had a funny thought. I wondered if there would be a Teddy Roosevelt play here. So he maybe Trump comes as a third party guy, splits the right, and then you put in some like absolute communist. <laughs> you know, is AOC going to be old enough in 2024 to run for president? And like, she'd only need clinton level votes like a clinton clinton only got a plurality he didn't get a majority of the votes like people are just like oh trump didn't get the popular vote uh clinton didn't even get a majority of the vote because there was a third party spoiler uh not a redheaded libertarian says again <laughs> this is really funny you think they found his batman costume in the safe and this is where i got my title i was annoyed because i already wrote my title but it looked like maybe i was ripping it off but not a redheaded libertarian certainly was on top of this too. So like the idea is what did they think they would find there? You know, are we supposed to infer that he really is Batman? So he, that there is like a bat cave in there that they're, that he's still fighting the deep state. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So, and this is a second, a second appendix to the show is my tweets on, uh, or the responses on my question about the crazy train. So I tweeted out the question I asked in my last deep dive. If you're going off the rails on the crazy train, are you crazy? Or were you crazy when you were on the rails? And then when you go off the rails, are you not crazy anymore? Or are you just dead? Because going off the rails usually ends in a fiery wreck. I don't know. So I put it out there and here are my Twitter responses. Anarcho Sports Stooge. It's kind of like being out of whack. How does that make sense? Would I rather be in whack? <laughs> Sir Tim of the Tunnels. One of my favorite tweets of all time. If you want to follow a good account, follow Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Very clever. You're still crazy, but now you're unpredictable because you've gone off the rails. I think that's true. Hedgehog asks, what is the crazy train and are we on it now? Bill Brasky going off the rails whilst on the crazy train is pretty crazy. So it's crazy to the power of two. KTB, my grandmother always said going crazy was a short trip. JJ Boogie, good question. But the song is about the Cold War, I thought. 
who am I to question J.J. Boogie's musical knowledge? So I defer. My absolute winner, Ed McGonigal. You're way overthinking this. Story of my life, Ed. Story of my life. So let me tell you, though. I'm not going to be overthinking for a while. I'm still doing deep dives as many as I can. I try to do twice a week, but one of the reasons I had to kind of pull back on how much I was producing is that I've got a lot of people to see, a lot of things to do. I'm going to visit my mom again. Um, I have some other really fun visits. You can check out my newsletter. I try to put pictures up of any meetups. I'm going to meet some homesteaders. I am going to go see Lanny of Greener Postures and some other homesteaders up there, I hope. And I'll let you know all about it when I get back. I'll put the pictures in the newsletter and that. So don't please be impatient if I don't have a ton of deep dives, but I will always put something up, whether it's a buddy dive, a dive master interview or a deep dive 5 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every single week. I will always do that. And if you want to hear a commercial free, go to Deep Dives with Monica Perez. And if you don't think that's enough, I do have some bonus episodes in the Deep Dives. So you can scroll through and look for them. I'll pop some up if I, if I stumble across some of those. Maybe I'll get another Fat Mitch. Or uh, I talked to George, the friendly truck driver. He said he would be down for a little interview. He would be the roadmaster, I think, though. So we'll see. Lots, lots of cool stuff coming up. And... Um, you can find it all at Deep Dives with Monica Perez. I am Monica Perez, of course. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. 